Tales of the Resistance, a podcast about antimicrobial resistance. On today's show, we're joined by a rotating lineup of members of the I Am Responsible Project, a nationwide team of educators and researchers working on solutions to antimicrobial resistance. I'm Beth, one of the hosts today, and I'm joined by Mara. Hey, everybody. And Amber. Hello, hello. And on today's show, we will be talking about some of the current news on the antimicrobial resistance scene that we found interesting. So today, I chose a podcast um, that I am a fan of and always try to catch their episodes on antimicrobial resistance. It is called One World, One Health, so highly recommend that one. We will have a link to the podcast in our show notes, which you can check out. The podcast I chose today was Taking Care of Our Most Precious Drugs. And in this podcast, the guest, Azra Hassan, head of academic programs at the One Health Trust, goes into some of the main barriers um, to antimicrobial resistance facing low and middle income countries. In low and middle income countries, they face the highest increase in antimicrobial use currently. Overall, they're not using the most amount of antimicrobials, but it is increasing the most there. So some of the barriers facing prudent antimicrobial stewardship in low and middle income countries um, include, but are not limited to, a lack of government regulation and a market saturated with counterfeit drugs, a lack of awareness from even the professionals in the field on how antimicrobial resistance works, and lack of funding for diagnostic testing and surveillance. So something that listening to this, I don't know if there was anything that I had never heard of when I was listening to this before, but while I was listening to it, it inspired some something of a um, thought experiment. So there are a host of issues that are complicating the solution to antimicrobial resistance, um, not only from the One Health perspective, but also societal barriers. So as a thought experiment, if you had the power to lead a united spearheaded front in the fight against antimicrobial resistance, which of these three barriers to combating the spread of antimicrobial resistance would you throw all your funding and resources into? So one is pushing for government regulations, so regulating poor antibiotic stewardship and working to take counterfeit drugs off the market. Two, campaigning for the spread of antimicrobial awareness. Or three, funding research into diagnostic testing to make it rapid, more rapid, and more accurate. So myself, when I was thinking about these three, I actually found this difficult and I enjoyed the thought experiment because it made me, like we know that antimicrobial resistance affects so many different areas. We know about the One Health perspective and we know about how it touches so many, how many, so many different parts of our society, the good and the bad have an effect on the spread of antimicrobial resistance. But it's interesting because it highlighted to me how difficult it was to just identify like what is the most important. Like if I only had to do one thing, then how can I say one more thing was more important than others because they were just so interconnected. So not only is AMR 
affecting all these different parts of our society and world, but our solutions to it are also so interconnected that it's hard to pick one. So it's a good thing we don't have to pick one <laughs> as far as um, in the real world, we have research into all this stuff and funding into all this stuff. But one of some of the reasons I found it so hard was the idea of putting in place government regulations. And I know Mara has talked about this before. I remember one of our podcasts, she was she was sharing some in, insights into how it's hard to push people to do something with a government regulation if they don't understand, if they don't have that buy-in. Like, why is this so important? So if you just have government regulations, but people don't understand why it's so important, or they don't have the tools to meet that regulation, it, it can only go so far. But um, if you have, let's say, funding into antimicrobial awareness campaigns, but you only let people know they're aware of antimicrobial resistance, but they have none of the tools to try to fix it in their area, whether diagnostic testing or funding into biosecurity measures for livestock, et cetera. Um, they don't have that, then it can only go so far as well. If they have funding into diagnostic testing, then they'll have very rapid diagnostic tests. But if they don't have the understanding of why it's so important, then even if it's even if that diagnostic test is affordable, they're not going to choose to do that. If it, you know, if it still costs money, why would you choose to utilize a diagnostic testing if you don't understand why it's so important to give a specific drug and not just give a broad spectrum uh, antibiotic? or such that you know as a physician or as a um, prescriber maybe has worked in the past, why not use it again? So I came down to picking, since it was really hard to pick, but I decided that I would pick campaigning into the spread of antimicrobial awareness. And the reason I picked awareness was even though, even though in a way it doesn't provide any additional tool, to solving antimicrobial resistance. It's just getting people aware of the issue. I thought it was the best because once people are aware, you have more and more hands on deck, understanding that it's a serious issue, more and more minds at work thinking of solutions. So I think you get more people invested in it. Think about global climate change. I always think about global climate change connected to um, AMR, but you have a lot of people working on solutions. And some of them are just like, not something that takes a huge amount of funding, or there's these smaller projects just to solve regional issues affecting global climate change. But there's a lot of people that have bought in to finding solutions to global climate change. There's just so many people aware and so many people working on it. And if we had that level of understanding and awareness of antimicrobial resistance, then it could lead to a lot of different new ideas coming in, a lot of different solutions and, and people there to uh, help out. I saw this question in the notes and um, I had like you a sort of immediate reaction that it's impossible to separate these things, mm. that things like, like you already illustrated, that having a very well-functioning diagnostic test does very little good if, if it is only something that has been done by research. A little insight for our listeners, we, again, we work in a university setting, we work in a space that's sort of research and extension, so outreach, um, and our jobs are related to both, and 
I have a lot of firsthand experience and observation people that I work with who are working on some very cutting edge technologies that have great potential to absolutely change basic functions of the world that we live in. And in some cases, they're not necessarily ready for public consumption, but in some cases, you can see improvement steps that are ready. They're available. They're economically feasible. Um, maybe there is even funding available through regulatory agencies to implement them. But that doesn't mean that they are widely in use. And so the outreach component that we find is part of our work is spent 20, 30 years trying to build the not just awareness, but social acceptance of practices and um, behavioral changes to um, implement the research of 30 and 40 years ago. And so there's this huge lag between development of new research technologies and actual implementation in a wide scale. Now, that's that that lag is different in different industries, so I'm not suggesting that we're 30 years away from implementing a diagnostic test, a very rapid diagnostic test. I think that in healthcare, there is maybe a little bit more demand for that. But but I I have this based on this experience of the lag between uh, research and actual implementation. I would say you cannot do one without the other. And I'd also would say that thinking about regulations and then you did say Beth how how important it is to have the buy-in. It's also really important to have the funding on regulations. And this is different in different countries in terms of um, uh, the general public's response to regulations. But by and large, people do follow rules, but just passing the rules is usually not enough. Most people would follow it, but if you if you start to have large-scale resistance to regulation, the only thing you you can do is enforcement. Enforcement costs money. It requires people to go out and do inspections of things. It it requires it may require legal enforcement, and there's systems for that that cost money, they cost time, they cost staffing. Um, so regulation is is a challenge, but sometimes it's really the only tool. In the podcast, um, they were talking about regulation with respect to these counterfeit drugs. For people who have been listening to this a lot, you may have a feel for why counterfeit drugs in the sense that they're not not incorrect drugs per se, that they may just be a lower dosage than it appears and they're sort of cut with something else. Why that would be particularly bad from an antimicrobial resistant perspective, because basically it means that all the time that you prescribe this, this drug, which you believe you're prescribing at the recommended dose that the patient believes they're taking correctly, all of that time, you're taking it at below concentration that will actually impact the microbes. And um, that is the perfect conditions to increase antimicrobial resistance in the body or in the community or whatever. So having a government agency that will regulate 
drug concentration, so you don't have that problem. This is one of the reasons that we have less antimicrobial resistance in places like the United States than in some of the countries that um, were talked about in the podcast, because you have a strong regulatory system that makes sure that the drugs that are on the market are the concentrations of the drugs that they say they are. And that means that the doctors and the patients who are following directions are doing, are getting the right doses that they think they are and not are not promoting as much antimicrobial resistant development as they are in places where that is less regulated and unsure. So I guess I guess I, I would say that the regulations part of this also is important part. You have to have all three and there's probably more things that you need as well, but it is an illustration that antimicrobial resistance, as we say all the time, multifaceted problem, it takes all comers. It really um, is not something that any one industry or sector could take care of on their own. It's hard to choose from these three options because they're all needed. But I guess I would push for government regulations for a lot of the same reasons that Mara expressed because especially working to take counterfeit drugs off the market because I just I find that to be a very dangerous practice and also unfortunate like thinking about it from the person that's taking these counterfeit drugs how disappointing that would be and upsetting that would be um I've read about people desperate for medications for like HIV medications and spending their entire income for counterfeit drugs that don't treat the the symptoms and that's just heartbreaking to me so um and because it it also causes AMR so I don't know that I have a whole lot to say because I feel like it was said much better by Mara but yeah regulations are definitely needed but I also think so then I I kind of went back and forth because then I thought well if you campaign if there's campaigns to spread AMR awareness then that would be kind of a catalyst for creating regulations and enforcing those regulations and it would be the thing that got people motivated to to make the changes necessary so so maybe I take it back and maybe I say <laughs> That campaigns to spread AMR awareness is what I would do. I don't know. I'm not sure. I went uh, back and forth, Amber, too, for a while. <laughs> yeah. If there's one thing this uh, thought experiment uh, showed was that it's hard to pick one. And as Mara said, this is just three of many uh, different facets in the fight against antimicrobial resistance. One of the things I was struck with in the podcast, listening to her, talk was was something that she said about basically spreading awareness to pharmacists about antimicrobial resistance and this struck me because of course we would think of all of the professions in the world who would know and understand about the impacts of antibiotic use it would be pharmacists right because in like she said in the podcast in some countries you don't require a prescription 
you can get an antibiotic straight from your pharmacist without a doctor. So the people most responsible for antibiotics being in the community are our pharmacists. In low and income middle, middle countries, which is the pharmacists are talking about, I would say they're almost the doctor because it's not only that someone can get the antibiotic without a prescription, it was that they will go to the pharmacist for a prescription, like telling their symptoms and the pharmacist will recommend what they think might work, but they don't have adequate training for these pharmacists a lot of times. I would say it's more like a from my understanding, it's almost more like a regular sales job. You're like, well, I could run a pharmacy and maybe I have some background into it, but they don't have um, as much education into the medical practice as they would need to be actually giving prescriptions out. So that's shocking to me to think that I just would assume that pharmacists would be aware of what AMR is and well versed on how to combat it and what best practices are. So mm-hmm. I'd say it might come out of an unaffordable health care. You know, if you can't afford to go to the doctor to get a prescription, then it's almost like a, oh, I, I don't know. I don't want to like make things up because I don't know the history. It just makes me think that if things get too unaffordable, People will find a way to, you know, because they're sick, they need to get some antibiotics and something will pop up to fill that need. Right. Well, I found this podcast really insightful and our discussion around it uh, very beneficial. So I hope everybody else also got some good insights out of it. Thank you for sharing it with us, Beth. That was really interesting. And I'm going to have to check out this podcast more. Um, and add it to my regular podcast diet hear from you next time or uh, no I won't never mind cut that (laughs) always something hear from you next time I'll certainly be hearing from listeners you're always joining us (laughs) okay well we are getting more people interestingly enough hmm so we've had one that had 27 downloads. Ha ha ha, my staff Leococcus aureus was popular. 27 downloads is not popular. Yes, but my per one in what is the link between armed conflict and da-da-da-da has only had five downloads. I have been well, shunned. <laughs> <laughs>